0: Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Many of us might know that the Bible talks about two witnesses in the last days in the book of Revelations that will be preaching in Jerusalem right before the return of Jesus. And I've always had this mindset that because I know we are so close, That every little kid that comes into the church, I always have this mindset, they could be one of the two witnesses, so put everything you can into them. You don't know who it could be. We are close enough that they could be alive now, or it could be some kid that God puts in your care to teach the Bible to. Like You don't know, so put everything that you can into every person, every kid that comes into your life, because you don't know who that kid is going to grow up to be. They could be one of them. You're that close. So first thing we're going to do is we're going to read the biblical account of it, and then we're going to go over the different common theories of who they are or what what it could be about. So open to Revelations chapter 11, we'll start in verse 1. Um, I'm going to read through it without too much commentary or, or explanation, and then after we're, we'll dissect it. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod and the angel stood saying rise and measure the temple of god and the altar and them that worship therein but the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not for it is given unto the gentiles and the holy city shall they tread under foot forty and two months which is three and a half years and i will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified, which is actually Jerusalem. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put into graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelled on the earth. So for those who are under the belief that all prophecy has to be flattery and fluff and what they call edifying to themselves, these are among God's greatest prophets, and it says they'll be killed because they tormented people their prophecies were tormenting to the wicked because it was calling for repentance and calling out their sin and bringing to light the fact that the judgments that were coming on the earth were because of sin and wickedness and the rebellion of the people after three days and a half the spirit of life from god entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them and they heard a great voice from heaven so they've been killed they've been laying dead for three days God breathes life back into them they stand back up alive the people that see it are afraid and then they hear a great voice from heaven saying unto them come up hither and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them and the same hour was there a great earthquake and the tenth part of the city fell and in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000, and the remnant were affrightened and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe comes quickly. We'll stop there. All right, this is not, it's, it's a very summarized version of their story, and it's really the only place, more or less, that it's mentioned. So there's not a whole lot to go on, other than we know that there are two witnesses, They are prophets of God for three and a half years during the time of the tribulation. They're prophesying uh, about the things that are happening and are coming and are calling men to repentance. They have power to uh, do what many of the prophets of the Old Testament did to call fire from heaven, to um, announce plagues, to see that waters are turned to blood and, and the rains are stopped and the world hates them for it which happens to every true biblical prophet because there's a tendency that when you're prophesying that things will happen when they happen and people don't like it they blame you that it happened instead of taking the word that was given that this is going to happen because of your sin if you don't repent so who are these two witnesses this has been the topic of a lot of biblical study and debate so we're going to look at some of the theories now Before we do that, I will give a preface by saying, interpreting biblical prophecy until it happens comes with a stipulation of speculation. Anyone who says that they have the interpretation is in error or in arrogance and is not speaking by the leading of the Holy Spirit. If they're saying that this is the answer. But I think what the Lord gave me is going to definitely stir you up and spark some questions and some interest in your mind. So first I wanna look at the common theories. And again, I would say be leery of common theories. (laughs) That's not to be arrogant and think that you have to pick things apart and find something wrong with every common teaching because many are right. But I'm also reminded that the Pharisees missed Jesus because they were so sure that they had the scriptures about his coming figured out when they really didn't, that that's the main reason that they missed him. They had mixed their own idea of who he was and how it would happen into the interpretations so that they couldn't see or expect the way that it really happened. So don't be so static with your interpretation of biblical prophecy. God has a way of fulfilling it to the fullest, but in a way that we least expect it because he always has to leave some room for faith in there. His word never returns void. He fulfills it to the letter, but it's usually not the way we thought he would. So if you get too dead set in your interpretation, you can miss what really happens. The first and probably most common idea of who they are is that they're Elijah and Moses who come back because it says that they call fire down, Elijah called fire down, and it says that they turned water to blood, Moses turned water to blood. That's what most people say that it is. The Bible never says that, but it's something that people think. Another theory, which is kind of how I always kind of believed, was that it was just two new prophets, two men of God who were raised up for that hour, who did the same things as the biblical prophets. Um, Another reason that people believe that one of them would be Elijah is because the prophet Malachi said that Elijah would return before the day of the Lord. And the Jews are still waiting on him to come back to explain what will happen before the final judgment. But Christ himself said that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of that prophecy and that they already rejected him. So it's very possible, however, because Jesus said that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. So when it prophesied Elijah was coming, the word spirit is is synonymous with character. When we talk about the spirit of Jezebel, it's the character of Jezebel. The spirit of Elijah was the character of Elijah. John the Baptist came in the character of Elijah. So... These, I would think, probably more than likely two normal people, two regular new prophets that will be in the spirit of these others. So they would have the same character as these biblical prophets as opposed to literally them coming back from the dead. Um, Well, two of them actually wouldn't have to come back from the dead, which leads us to the third common theory is that it would be Elijah and Enoch. Because they're the only two people in scripture that were never recorded to die. They just left. They went with God. And so because the Bible says that it's appointed unto men once to die, that they would be the ones that would come back and eventually in the end die. And then that would be what would happen. So those are your three common theories. Ultimately, it really doesn't matter who they are. It matters that you know that it's going to happen so that you can keep an eye out for it, because as soon as they're killed, they're laid dead for three days while their death is celebrated. And then... They're taken up, and that's most likely when your rapture happens. And then as soon as they're taken up, that's when the wrath of God comes out. And it says that the people will see it. So if you're alive in that time, you will know what's about to happen. But tonight I want to look at a little more uncommon theory. This is what the Lord gave me because I have another theory. I usually always do. (laughs) There is a possibility and I'm not saying this is the interpretation, but as much as any of the other theories, there is a possibility that the two witnesses are actually alluding to Christians and Jews, the Christian faith and the Messianic Jewish faith, that in the end they come together to warn and to witness of what is coming. Now, as noted, even if this theory is not right in the literal sense, though it very well could be. I do think that it is right, at least in the metaphorical sense. It could be that they're not two people at all, that it's literally two peoples that are are the witnesses of God, those who speak of God, those who give the New and the Old Testament, the witnesses of God. But even if it is two literal people, then their lives are still metaphorical, their similitudes, for the christians and the jews so the idea works regardless and if you look at what happens you'll see what what i'm saying it's think about it the end time christians and the jews they come together in the end we know everything comes to a head in jerusalem jesus said that when the jews acknowledge him as messiah that's when he'll come back again so you have two brothers back united telling of what's happening because the jews have prophecies of return of God they understand the, the judgment and all those things that are happening as do the true Christians so the things that are happening in the earth they can prophesy they can bear witness they can say it's because of your sin and your rebellion against the covenants of God this is why it's happening they can witness against sin preach repentance and prophesy what is coming as the two witnesses do this they are blamed for the woes on the earth because of their preaching and prophesying of it They are hated of all nations for their call of repentance and for pronouncing the plagues and the woes, which are actually merciful warnings. Just like Elijah when he prophesied that, you know, he announced the woes and all of these things and they hated him for it because they said he was tormenting Israel. But it was actually a mercy of God trying to bring them to repentance. God himself protects these two witnesses, For a season the Bible talks about God protecting Christians and Israel for a season in the wilderness in the end they are persecuted by the Antichrist who makes war with them and is allowed by God to overcome them we read that in the book of Daniel that the Saints will be overcome by the Antichrist once the Antichrist is allowed to prevail against them possibly in some mass purge at the end trying to silence them. After three days, just like the body of Christ, which the Bible tells us that we must perform his ministry in the earth, um, just as he did, after those three days that they're dead, they are resurrected and caught up to meet God in the air, the rapture. Then the wrath of God falls in hellfire and brimstone. Jesus said, that just like Sodom and as like Gomorrah, when Lot was removed, the wrath fell. Just like in the days of Noah, as soon as Noah was removed and went into the ark, the flood came. So as soon as these witnesses are removed from the earth, judgment begins to fall and it starts with a great earthquake and upheavals. Again, it can be two people or it actually could be these two peoples But even if it is two people, their life is still a similitude for the two peoples because they are the witnesses of God. And what the Christians and the Jews will be going through is the description of what the two witnesses are going through through the time of tribulation because they prophesied, they warned for three and a half years. All right. Like Sodom, who received messengers from God to be a witness against them of their sins, in that the men of Sodom tried to abuse them, so are we as Christians and even the Messianic Jews, called and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be God's witnesses, both of the truth of Christ to the lost, as Christ is our ark, and redemption from this wrath to come, and also against the wicked ones to God, against their actions to us. Jesus said that when people persecute you, Keep blessing them because as you do right and they do wrong back to you, you are heaping coals of fire upon their head in the day of judgment. Remember the word witness means martyr. Your martyrdom proves the need for coals of fire to rain down, just like the witness of the messengers sent to Sodom and Gomorrah. As long as you believe enough, in the resurrection, that you don't become one of them. So, if you maintain your righteousness, if you truly believe that Jesus is coming again enough to maintain your righteousness and not become just like the wicked people that are persecuting you and hating you and trying to come against you, if you believe that enough, you'll maintain your faith even if it comes to martyrdom, being a witness. You will continue to witness of Jesus. But the reality is, Is that we're a witness both ways because we're here to witness to the world of Jesus but in heaven we're gonna be a witness before the courts of God against the people and if those who didn't receive your grace your words as long as you maintained your right standing in it then that actually heaps more judgment on them it bring it justifies the calling down of the hellfire and brimstone just like the two witnesses that God sent into Sodom and Gomorrah when they went in and the, the, the men of Sodom tried to abuse them, it was that witness that justified the judgment. Okay, it's going to happen. We are a witness sent out into the world hoping to save them, speaking the truth. But if they don't receive it, the way they treat us is a witness against them. Shake the dust off and move on that the judgment is needed. Jesus' own mortardom, his death burial and resurrection came to give us a demonstration and to build our faith for this if we truly believe it. In the story of Sodom God spoke to his companions and said let us go down and see if their sin is as bad as the cry coming up implies. The heavenly beings come down and witness it firsthand and so that the judgment can come in justice. Through Jesus, the Holy Spirit is given access to come down from heaven and inhabit or indwell us, to make us a witness, a mortar that proves that the cry being made against the wicked are valid. Yet Jesus instructs us to pray for them that persecute us, which then causes us to intercede on behalf of the wicked in the courts of heaven and stay the judgment and give more time for repentance this is part of how jesus pushed back the time frame or tarried that more might be saved but eventually the antichrist will rise up and overcome the saints and silence their witness and when they are no more then god will step in fulfill his promise to resurrect them rapture them up to meet him in the clouds and pour out judgment or the wrath of god upon the wicked So no matter how you look at it, their life still tells the story regardless. But there is one more clue that does seem to allude to this. Their description as the two olive trees and the two lampstands. Because Jesus said that Israel was the olive tree and the Gentiles were the wild olive tree, the ones grafted in, the two olive trees, and that the lampstand is the Holy Spirit. So the wild olive tree and the natural olive tree plus the Holy Spirit given to each of them, equals witness. When the Holy Spirit's given to make you a witness, those are your witnesses. They're witnessing of the truth of scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, all of it comes together in the end in Jerusalem. The natural olive tree and the wild one. So let's look at it a little further. Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit was given to make us a witness. We know that word witness actually was martyr, In the original Greek, the Holy Spirit was given to give us the power and ability to be a martyr. That is the witness that is being talked about here. So when Jesus calls these two his two witnesses, he's actually calling them his two martyrs. So if we look at it as Christianity and Judaism, you can see where throughout history those have been the two martyrs. There is no other religion in the world that has been persecuted like those two. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. The Holy Ghost is the candlestick. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. Again, the original word there was martyr. You shall be a martyr unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So we are not just empowered by the Holy Spirit to move and gifts and and preach and have boldness and all of these things but we are empowered to stand in the face of persecution remember peter before he had the holy spirit was denying jesus because he was afraid of crucifixion peter after the holy spirit was boldly preaching and prophesying to the same people who crucified jesus the holy spirit was given to make him a witness a martyr to give him the strength to stand and continue preaching the message, but also to withstand things that come against him, which justify the wrath on the wicked. You're a witness both ways, if that makes any sense. Note that God did not say that the witnesses wouldn't be hurt, but that whoever does hurt them will be destroyed by fire. Those who hurt them during the three and a half years will be the ones killed by fire when the wrath of God pours out in the days that follow the tribulation. So even if these two witnesses are real people, then still their lives are prophetic similitudes for us at the very least. So like them, preach the gospel and don't be silent. No matter who believes, mocks, or hates you for it, trust God to protect you until the time that he chooses to use you as a true witness or martyr then trust him to resurrect you and take you to New Jerusalem with him. Notice that it also said that they would be protected for a season while they preached and prophesied until their time came to be a martyr. The enemy couldn't kill, just like Jesus, the enemy couldn't take him out until the time came for that part to be played. There is a witness to be made against the enemy that comes when when the righteous are harmed by them because it says fire is reserved for those who hurt them. So there is a purpose in their martyrdom. But until that time came, nothing could touch them. They were able to preach the gospel. Remember that to testify of Jesus makes us a witness to the world of him. But also, he said that of those who do not receive the gospel, don't try to force them, shake the dust off your feet as a witness against them. So we are to be a witness to men Of him and his righteousness while we are here but also we are to be a witness to heaven of men and their wickedness when we get there think of Paul in this regard he was a witness of Jesus before the courts of Agrippa who said you almost persuade me to be a Christian but the courts of men judged him guilty and condemned him but one day Paul will be called as a witness against Agrippa in the courts of heaven Paul will testify that he told him the truth and he didn't believe it and killed him for preaching it, so that by their own actions and the witness of their righteous victims will they be found guilty of the blood of the innocent and condemned to eternal judgment. Innocent blood always requires justice. God is a defender of the defenseless. That's why we must maintain our righteousness or else we lose our witness. It's also why abortion and perversion has always brought the wrath of God upon a nation very quickly. So having this different view, I think, of who the two witnesses might be, I think I'd like to look back on it again. You can go back to Revelation 11, verse 1, and we're going to read through it again and break it down a little bit because there are only a few things that we know that's written of them, but I think we can definitely see the parallel as we dissect it. Verse 1, and there was given to me a reed and a rod, and the angel stood, okay, he measured the courts of heaven, go to verse 2, but the court which was without the temple, leave out and the measure, measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall be treaded underfoot forty and two months, all right, so that's three and a half years exactly, 1,312 days, that there's a time frame, we know that's the time frame of the tribulation, verse 3, so this, Their preaching is taking place during the time of tribulation. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth, which is 52 days shorter than the three and a half year period. So they're killed roughly about 52 days prior to the end of the three and a half year period, the two witnesses. These are the two olive trees. And the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. All right, there are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks. We touched on that. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Again, pointing out that it doesn't say they won't be hurt, but that those who hurt them will be killed by fire proceeding out of their mouth. And it's interesting because it says that when Jesus comes back, he comes back with the sword of fire coming out of his mouth. You know, the word of God will judge them basically in the end. All right. Verse six, these have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will right they have the power and authority of the biblical prophets they can prevent rain call plagues turn water to blood um and again simply prophesying these things as a warning can make people hate you because they blame you for doing it but it does say that even as elijah did they had the power to do it and rather you realize it or believe it or not but as a christian as someone who has the indwelling spirit of god you can call these things, you can pray these things. And when there's enough people crying out for mercy and praying for help, then, then there is a reaction that comes forth in the earth. In fact, we know that God came to deliver the Israelites when enough of them cried out for deliverance. So Christians pray and intercede and, and ask for more time and ask for mercy against their enemies, but when the, when the persecution comes so bad, or enough of them are killed to where that cry is no longer outweighing the cry for deliverance that judgment will come verse seven and when they shall have finished their testimony the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and shall kill them the antichrist will make war with them we know again this was the description given in the book of daniel against the saints that the antichrist would overcome them and they, their dead bodies, shall lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. All right So they'll lay dead in the streets for three days unburied while people celebrate their murders. And I think it interesting because it, the way that it describes it, you know, they'll give gifts and they'll send gifts to people. We are as Christ was in the earth. Our ministry has to mimic His ministry. The Christians in the end will be martyred just like he was, and then they will be resurrected just like he was. But after their death, the enemy celebrates it just like we celebrate Jesus. We we remember Jesus at Christmas by sharing gifts and celebrating. The enemy will mock that when these people are killed by doing the same thing in reverse. They're going to celebrate, and they're going to be so happy that he's gone, that these people are gone. Everything that the enemy does is in mockery. And all the people and nations and tongues and kindreds will see their bodies dead in the street for three days. They won't even bother to bury them. They won't put them in graves. Um, They hate them so much. They just want to keep celebrating their death. But God knows what he's doing. In the end, he wants them to see the resurrection. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another. Because these two prophets tormented them that dwelled on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God enters into them and they stand on their feet and great fear fell upon them, which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they ascended up to the heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. So after three and a half days, they're resurrected in the sight of all of the unbelievers who are now afraid. Then they are raptured in the sight of their enemies. Verse 13, immediately after that, you get some major shaking going on with earthquakes. Um, And at this point, you're at only 49 days left to the three and a half year countdown until the return of Christ. Then in verse 14, we see the wrath of God and the return of Christ. The woes begin. You can read 14 through 17. We'll go ahead and read it. 14 through 17, the next woe starts to describe some of the wrath. So again, it just fits it into the time frame. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. The seventh angel sounded, and there was a great voice in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the fourth and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and which was and which art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Christ is taking authority. He's taking control. So they're worshipping God. All right. As we start to come to a close on this, there's a few things that we would want to consider. Um, Pull up Daniel chapter 12 verse 9. I want to read 9 through 13. Daniel chapter 12 verse 9, it says, And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise they shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. But go thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of days. So he told Daniel, write it down, record it. It's not for now go your way. You're going to die, but you'll be resurrected with the rest of them when this happens. All right. So blessed is the one who makes it to the 1,335 days after the abomination that maketh desolate is set up. So from the time that it's set up, there is actually only determined to be 1,290 days left. All right. So that's 45 days left uh, short. So Daniel gives us this time frame, this Three and a half year period. But then he says this other time frame that is 45 days shorter. That's when, we've talked about it before, I think that's probably about the area where the wrath of God is poured out. Jesus comes back and then that last little time span is during the wrath of God. So the time frame given between the resurrection and rapture of the two witnesses, which begins the outpouring of the wrath of God, which starts with an earthquake that destroys Jerusalem, and the end of that outpouring wrath is 49 days. All right, so Daniel gives you this 45 day time frame. The witnesses scenario gives you a 49 day time frame. That's pretty close. To me, that's close enough. The little bit of discrepancy in there, I think, probably could be the Battle of Armageddon, because it's probably not going to be a one day event. That's actually only a four day discrepancy. So if the Battle of Armageddon accounts for the other days, that's a four day battle. But both of them are giving you a three-and-a-half-year time period with a time period before the end of that three-and-a-half years. That's about 40-something days. So to me, that's when it says that they're, they're resurrected and they're pulled up to Jesus. Then there's like 49 days until the end of it, that three-and-a-half-year time period. Daniel says blessed is the person who makes it to that time frame. I think that's more confirmation that that time frame is probably the wrath of God. And one last thing. Go ahead and pull up Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. Go ahead and go verse 1. I don't know how many verses. I'm going to just read it. Oh, I'm going to read the whole chapter, actually. It's a short chapter. Yeah, I'm going to read the whole chapter. And you'll see as I read it why we're reading this whole chapter. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, the seven pipes to the seven lamps. We understand what this is. It's a description of the menorah, which is the representation of the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament and in the book of Revelations which are upon the top of it. So he's describing the seven spirits of God, the seven branches of the lampstand, the different lampstands. It's all part of that representation of the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about the lamp. And then in verse 3, he talks about, and the two olive trees are by it. This is in Zechariah in the Old Testament. One upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. So this is the same description given of the two witnesses, the the lamps and the two olive trees. So I answered and spake unto the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Right? These witnesses are going to be not moving by might or power, but by the Holy Spirit. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubial? Thou shalt become a plain. I think that's mountain that mountain that Jesus prophesied that we would be able to cast into the sea if we believed. If you have the Holy Spirit, you can speak to that mountain, that Satan, that principality, and cast it into the sea. He says, who are you in front of Zerubbabel? You will be like a plane. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, cryings, grace, grace unto it. Yep, Jesus by his grace will destroy it. But he will work through witnesses that he sends out into all the earth and then eventually back to Jerusalem. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Then answered I and said unto him, what are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, what be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves and he answered me and said knowest thou not what these be oh the suspense is killing me and i said (laughs) no my lord i don't know just tell me (laughs) then said he these are the two anointed ones that stand by the lord of the whole earth all right I read through this and I get so excited and I'm like, I'm going to find out. He's going to tell us. And then he gives us something so vague. But we know that the anointing, that anointed means chosen. All right. So these are the two chosen ones, right? Wrong. I looked it up in the Hebrew, in the original language. It's not the word that's normally used for anointing and it doesn't mean chosen. So I don't know if that was an interpretational error there or if there's just, if there's just no better word for it. But the original word there was, was yitshar. And it means the shining ones that are full of oil, or it literally means the lights. The ones who are lit ablaze because they are full of the oil of the Holy Spirit. So who are the two witnesses, the two branches that are connected to this lamp? They are the ones who are filled with the oil and set ablaze so we're going to close with matthew chapter 5 verse 10 the words of jesus because these according to the description given in the book of Zechariah, says that they are the ones that the holy spirit works through the lights the witnesses jesus tells us in matthew chapter 5 verse 10 blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness Sake, having read all of that, this one little passage is going to make so much more sense. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth then no good for anything but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candle stand and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have come not to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or tittle shall in any wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled so these things will be fulfilled and according to the scripture it will be fulfilled through the ones who are the lights that are full of oil set ablaze by the candlestick the two witnesses the two olive trees the holy spirit given the candlestick to make us a witness so whether it's two people or not, it's two peoples. Whether they represent the two peoples or it's two peoples and two people. It's two peoples. I believe that it does represent the Christians and the Jews, the Old Testament and the New, those who have been a witness of God throughout the ages and in the time of tribulation, the ones that the Antichrist will overcome and come against and eventually kill that will then bring about the wrath of God in the end because of our witness against them while we're trying to witness to them. The witness will stand in heaven with the blood of the martyrs why the judgment of the wrath was necessary. God is a just God. He works in legalism. People say that's legalism. I'm sorry he's a judge, there's a court, he's gotta follow some laws. There are things that have to happen, so. That's my lesson tonight on the two witnesses. Told you it'd be a little bit different. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.